What's going on, crew? Welcome to Cross Platform, where esports, entertainment, and business connect. So incredibly excited that you guys have decided to join us on this journey. We are going to be having tons of fun guests, tons of fun interaction, talking about some of the more exciting industries on the planet. Again, thank you so much for joining us on Cross Platform. Let's get into it. Pops, it's good to have you. Hi, pal. How are you? Good morning. <laughs> good morning. Um, I'm super excited because I was so sick and tired of talking to myself on LinkedIn. It's nice to have a guest. Um, nice to have a guest with the same name and someone that understands me so well. Um, but anyway, I appreciate you doing this. I know uh, you're a busy man yourself, so thanks for hopping on this morning. Good morning. It's great to be here. Thank you very much. I've been watching you talk to yourself for a while, so I thought this was a way to kind of break it up. 15 minutes for you, 15 minutes for me. <laughs> uh, I love it. Um, all right. Well, so for everyone that doesn't know, why don't you go ahead and just give yourself, uh, you know, uh, give your rundown, give uh, your background, where you come from, what you've done, and um, introduce yourself to the LinkedIn community. Perfect. Well, speaking of background, I hope you like mine. I mean, which way do I go here? How good is that, right? Beautiful Lake Michigan, uh, calling in from Harbor Springs at the top of the state. We're having a beautiful morning. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm grateful to sort of join everybody here this morning. I'm not sure how this is work will work, but we'll just let it flow, right? Uh, my background is uh, I've been uh, in the broader financial services community for over 30 years since I graduated from the University of Virginia. I went to work originally as a equity sales trader on a storied old uh, investment bank called Alex Brown and spent several years work, work, uh, in 1990 and held a number of different uh, jobs with Alex Brown and their successor firms. Uh, which bank through till about 2002. Uh, I spent a little bit of time working in the capital markets team at uh, Wachovia Securities, also based out of Baltimore. And then I really uh, took a flyer with a bunch of ex-partners and tried to start um, our own firm. It was a little bit of a attempt to put the band back together again. Uh, that was 2006. We formed a boutique investment bank in Baltimore called Signal Hill. Uh, we had a great thesis uh, and a great team. Uh, the only thing we didn't weren't able to look around corners, so we didn't see 2008 coming around, which kind of put a big, uh, you know, hole in our hull around the public markets business that we had entered into. And so we restructured that firm in 2011. And that's when I really started to get into capital raising business, um, worked with a dear friend and former uh, Wahoo from UVA, Guy Costin at his firm, Dakota Funds, uh, based in Philadelphia. Uh, one of the, if not the premier third-party marketing firm for investment advisors uh, in the country uh, with just a dynamite team. We spent some time racing, uh, when I was there, private capital as well as public capital, which was their sort of main uh, uh, focus. Um, and then uh, in 2015, I got a call uh, from some old partners of mine to join uh, an investment advisory boutique in New York called DH Capital. DH Capital is probably the premier uh, investment advisory firm to the internet infrastructure space, um, broadly internet infrastructure, but uh, you guys would probably know it in the context of sort of the data center business that's primarily where uh, uh, our revenue flows from though we do spend time in areas like managed services software as a service but everything is tangential to the cloud um, broadly the internet uh, and the data center so um, and and we mostly uh, advise firms uh, that are in a sale process, but we also raise capital as well. I'm involved in a very unique capital raise night now for a new trend in that space called edge data centers, which are smaller data centers out in secondary and tertiary markets. Um, but that's sort of the rundown of my 30 years. In the meantime, I live in Michigan for a good part of the year and New York 
sometimes and a little bit in Florida when it gets too cold to be up here, but uh, happy to be here this morning, H. Awesome. Well, you know, you, you, me watching you for 26 years now, you've been all over the place. And as you may or may not know, the community that kind of watches here is on the younger side and emerging young entrepreneurs, guys that are just graduating, um, guys that are looking to get into financial services, guys that are looking to get into esports. So a lot of kind of diverse group here. So, um, you know, for me personally, uh, you know, I always have understood what you've done from a very high level um, because quite frankly, it's not something that I'm personally passionate about. It's not something you ever asked me to be passionate about, but you know, you're my dad, so I followed along. But what I have been passionate about is watching your career progress and the things that you've taught me. So when you go back to your first ever jobs and your first ever roles with Alex Brown, first ever internships, are there stories and things that you or memories you can pick out when, when getting those roles or switching roles or lessons that you've learned along the way when, when networking and, and taking on new responsibilities and new companies? Um, so let me just start into it and you can sort of redirect me as I go. Um, when I got out of uh, UVA in 1987, it felt to me like we were, my classmates and I, we were supposed to go to kind of into one of four things. We were supposed to be stockbrokers, doctors, lawyers, or teachers or service type uh, careers. And when I started to work for investment bank in 1987, I thought I'd work, not only would I work for the same investment bank my entire career, I just thought that's what you do. That's sort of what, you know, I'd seen other friends, fathers do. And, um, and so, uh, you know, and while I realized I might have different responsibilities within the, just felt like I was going to do one thing my whole life. Well, it just didn't sort of turn out that way for lots of, right? Part of it was growth. Part of it was opportunity. Part of it was prioritizing things in my own life that were important. And part of it was sort of, you know, all that you'd sort of built up along that into both both leverage it monetarily, but also leverage it into your own sort of what I would define as my own happiness, right? So, um, and so being part, I had an easy time building relationships. I had a lot of relationships from high school and college. I had a lot of relationships from business, both colleagues and customers. I met people along the way. I had a lot of opportunity and I played a lot of golf for those who know me and made a lot of really cool relationships there along the way, which have all supported. Uh, am now, um, you know, what I, what's changed, uh, and I, you know, I speak to a lot of friends, a lot of your pals call me, a lot of, uh, young people that I've worked with call and talk. And, and I think that, um, you know, what's different about when I started in the business and when you guys are starting and you're a classic example of it, H, you know, you've, you're on your sort of third gig, three years, four years out of Ole Miss. That's kind of the new normal and kind of cool, right? Um, you know, the ability for companies to form capital to form around good ideas, creating companies, uh, you know, on the internet, um, virtually, uh, and not the nine to five carry a square briefcase into work every day, go home at five, you know, uh, kiss your wife, tuck the kids into bed and get up and do it again tomorrow. That those days are sort of gone. And so what's really cool about what the world that you guys are, are coming up in professionally is all the opportunity and how you leverage one opportunity into the next. Right. And, and, you know, it's not, um, it's not heresy. It's not being disloyal to work for a firm for two years and leave them to go do something else. You, you're not, you're, you're looking after, you're following what you think is your path, a bouquet of opportunities. And to be honest with you, if it interests you and makes you happy, you should pursue it. And it's very cool. So I, what I tell kids now is, you know, don't get bogged down in something you don't like doing. 
um, do something that makes you happy, that fires you up, that gets you out of bed in the morning, uh, where you feel you're making a difference. Maintain open-minded as you know, technology, which is really the driver here, changes the playing field for you really dynamically. I mean, what looked like, you know, what looked good six months ago may look completely different because just of the rapid change of technology and the opportunities that are being created out of that. Um, lastly, just on the networking piece, I've, I've said this to everybody and we are here on LinkedIn and I hope the executives of LinkedIn are, are clean in. This is the single best business tool I've ever seen entire life there is uh there's no doubt about that um i, I certainly you know but are you there or are we on a lag no sorry yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah you're, you're lagging just a little bit it's okay well, just are you there can, can you hear me i can um Good. linkedin linkedin is the single greatest business tool i have ever seen if you're looking for a job, if you're in your dream job, if you're wanting to reconnect with old comrades, or if you want to find new partners, it's all right here. And this is the greatest sort of B2B platform I've ever seen. And to be honest with you, um, if you're not on here, if you're not connected to several hundred people to several thousand people, you just miss, you're just miss missing the opportunity because we believe where people go to check new relationships out, where they go to meet new, you know, people, partners, et cetera. And, um, and I just think it's really the greatest thing I, I I've seen in a long time and I use it all the time and Lord knows I know you do too. Well, it's funny that, um, I think that our, our experience on LinkedIn has, has actually been, uh, it's been unique because I'll never forget the day. I think I must have, so I actually joined LinkedIn sophomore year of college, 2014 was when I first joined. I'd be interested to see when you first joined um, because you kind of, I think you had, wasn't it, it was Nick Wellner that came in from LinkedIn and then did the outfitting yeah. of the capital, right? And so you were super high on it. That was way back when. And quite honestly, I wish I had listened to you more back then and had been more active on it because the way LinkedIn is now, like I've talked to you about organic reach and relationship building, things like that, it's off the charts. So quite honestly, my dad told me about LinkedIn, just for the community out there, my dad told me about LinkedIn back, it must've been 2013 where I probably didn't listen to him. And then it was 2014 where he told me again. Um, and I finally <clears throat> kind of downloaded it, outfitted it, made it look pretty. Um, and that was sophomore year of college. And quite honestly, as you know, um, I want to go back to Salisbury and have guys setting up their LinkedIn's, you know, right, right when they graduate. I mean, you should be walking out of high school, <clears throat> in my personal opinion, with a LinkedIn built out, ready to start filling with either jobs in college, internships, things like that. Just so, because like I, like I expressed before, I think the resume is, is kind of going away. I think I'd much rather, in my personal opinion, where my prior role, I was looking at resumes and I did some hiring myself. Um, I would much rather have somebody send me a LinkedIn where I can get a quick glance and, and a visual of who you are and move on for there. But, but I don't know. That's, that's my personal opinion on, on resumes and, and LinkedIn. No, it's a, it's a great tool. It's free. Um, I agree with you. You should the kids in college. I've had this conversation with Jeffrey Buell this summer and he immediately went out and ramped up his LinkedIn game, but you know, he's 21. It'll serve him for the rest of his life because he'll build a community. He'll learn a lot. It's apolitical as far as I can figure, which is why I haven't turned on it, Facebook in months. Um, and nobody's pick, putting picture uh, of, you know, their kid on graduation day there. It's really sort of a business community and it really fuel, and there's great ideas on it. I mean, people share their ideas. They share their, what they're interested in. It's great for the nonprofit world. As you know, we use it extensively at One Love. So there's lots of different um, applications, but it's in a sort of defined universe. And I, and I commend everybody to, you know, take their LinkedIn game up. So I want to go back a little bit to your first job right out of college. Um, yeah. A lot of people, I think, are learning tough lessons. Um, including myself along the way. 
Do you remember a specific, as a, you know, young, dumb, 23-year-old coming out of UVA, a particularly tough lesson that you learned in business very early on that's, that's stuck with you up until this point? Um, well, honestly, I don't remember anything when I was 23, and that was part of the problem. Uh, let's forward to sort of 26, 27, where I'd been working for quite a while. I had... I had risen up the ranks in my department, the equity trading department, and I was all keyed up. Um, it was promotion time. It was the end of the year. And and that was the biggest thing in my world. It's what I'd worked hard for. Um, and to be honest with you, with all, uh, I expected it. And the, the list came out as it did. It was a big day at the firm and my name wasn't on it. And I remember thinking, uh, you know, you got, I got a couple of choices. I had a choice here. Choice was I could go to work late the next morning, kind of with a little bit of a face on and be pissed off and, and uh, kind of push back against the machine a little bit, or I could get into work a little earlier and make sure that I guaranteed that I earned part I chose door number two. Was a it was the best decision I ever made. Um, but pissed off is no way to go through life. Nothing gets achieved. Um, if I get pissed off on the golf course, I'm pretty much going to go bogey, bogey, double, right? That's um, so. And I'm not saying that I don't get upset, but 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 I think that you know things happen for a reason, and you don't want to look back on them. I'm being massively philosophical at 9:45 in the morning, but. That, that is, you know, uh, you know, uh, loading up on what you expect versus um, controlling what you earn is, a, I think, a, is probably one of the best lessons I learned um, when I, uh, uh, you know, when I was a young guy and I've carried that forward through lots of different challenges over my life. So let's let's go back to let's go back to to young her. So what based off, cause I, I believe, I believe that I have told the community and the young hustlers out there, all of the lessons that you have told me, uh, or at least taught me in our time together, which has been, which has been a long time. Um, are there any top three, top five particular lessons that you remember teaching me early on in our, you know, whether it be, from day one to when I was 15, 16, to when I was 23, 24? Yeah, um, a couple little ones, right? So tell the truth. And when you're a young kid, learning to tell the truth is a bit of a journey. But if, if, you, if, you, if you learn it early, what you realize is you tell the truth once and only once, right? And what we learned through various market you know, rises and falls over the year, particularly the falls is people have again, to, you know, when they, when they restructured their businesses, when the market wiped everything out in 08, people had to take a different look about doing business where they're doing. The decision I always believe that they made is that they ultimately were going to work with people that they trusted and people that they like. Everybody, you can't control whether people like you, but you can control whether people trust you. And you tell, and telling the truth is, uh, is the most important thing in business because people, if they trust you, will do business with you over and over again. You heard beforehand about look people in the eye. Um, I think I think what you were referring to is you had a friend that would always come over and when I'd ask him a question, he'd look down like this or when he'd say goodbye, he'd look down like this. And I always brought it up. And I think I didn't have to tell you to look people in the eye. How you dismayed I was by how he couldn't make eye contact. And so that sort of uh, you and your sister are really sort of good at it. Um, the thing that's really most important, I learned this from my mentor in the business, a wonderful guy by the name of Peter Irish who passed away years ago. Um, you know, we're all just sort of passing through and the people that come before us spend a lot of time imparting what they've learned, their wisdom and their uh, uh, and their values on us. 
um, they are paying it forward. And it's our responsibility to take that and give it back. And so I have a long list of people, uh, particular, you know, young guys that have worked with me in every facet of my career, some directly for me where I controlled their future and their, and their bonus to guys that I just worked with alongside. But that, you know, when, when old guys like me spend time, um, you know, imparting uh, knowledge or wisdom or just our own uh, lessons that we've learned on you, our expectation is, is, is that will accrue to the people coming up behind you. And that to me, of all the things that we just discussed, that is the most important thing. Mine is not, I'm not transferring to you with the expectation that it ends there. My, I'm transferring what I learned to you with the expectation that that flows back down through the people that are coming behind you that will look up to you and, and, and rely on you. So that those are those, those things sort of stand out. I, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that you've taught me in, in life. Um, and I, I will always just remember, I mean, I, it's me. I personally remember you sitting me down in the kitchen and we were practicing how to shake hands and look somebody in the eye because I wasn't interested, wasn't giving you a firm handshake, wanted to leave the room, wanted to go do something else. And we sat there and we actually had to practice it because it was a bit of an issue. But I do remember the particular scenario that you are referencing. Um, so it's funny that, uh, that you remember it that way. Um, you know, and then the other thing that I do remember uh, you teaching me very, very early was never give up. And that's just, I mean, that's, I feel like sometimes that's, uh, that's always in everyone's top three, but when it came down to networking, following up, getting a job, that's probably been the most impactful thing that you ever taught me because I mean, how many follow-ups and emails did we create to send to Eric DaCosta before he gave me an internship at the Baltimore Ravens? Yeah. Yeah. Was, I know yeah. I know you've spoken a lot about that in your things, particularly because I think you have a relatively young audience that pays attention to this thing, but no, no just means we'll either make them say no but a no response just doesn't mean no, not right now. And look, if you're if you're persistent and you're people, it's you know it's hard for people that have titles and letters next to their name and are perceived to have power or the ability to give jobs or to pay people. It's hard to you know with the world where you can now get to everybody. LinkedIn being a classic example, um, but you can get to everybody to sort of answer every. Thing, but look, everybody's selling something and, and they're doing their best and they're trying to be respectful. And, and uh, you know, maybe the one thing I take out of the emails is, you know, dear Herb, hope you're well. Well, if I'm not well, I'm not going to tell you anyway. So let's assume I'm well and find another thing. Everybody's kind of got that. It's sort of like the, it's sort of like that end of the day, which drives me crazy, which is a, you know, black mark in the family right now, if you, you use that. So there are those things, but let's just sort of, let's stop starting. Let's stop with the, the hope you're well entree into the email. I'd rather have you say, what's up? What's up? What's good? What's up? What's up? <laughs> um, I, love, I love that. Completely flipping everything that I know about messaging, by the way, because I'm, I'm standard with the uh, hope all as well. Um, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I, I want to move into just some more uh, context for what this community is also looking for, which is a, a lot of your experience. You've not only raised capital, you've taken companies public. Um, I mean, you've had a lot of time in financial services. And as you know, I have moved into this esports industry, um, which is uh, it's a capital hungry industry. It's growing rapidly. It's in the mainstream media. So, I, you know, this question may not land, but I'm, I'm curious in your 30 years of experience in financial services, is there any other industry like esports that you have seen come to the forefront like esports has? Is there anything that, like, that, that connects um, in regards to press and media and excitement and capital? And, and is there anything that just kind of clicks when you think about esports? 
Yeah, yeah. I examples, right? So the first one's the sort of the not so good example, and the other one is sort of what I think is the good example. The not so good example is clean energy. I mean, in two thousand two, two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five, that was considered to be the next gold rush, right? Um, you know, the number of the, the Japanese government was subsidizing solar panels, and we thought that was a great opportunity in the U.S. That we just didn't want to subsidize it. We were going to somehow figure out a way to turn seaweed into into biodiesel, and um, you know, and there was everyone was going to have a solar panel or a or a fan on top of their house creating energy. And to be honest with you, that was the greatest zero to a hundred to zero I've ever seen in my life. And what happened was. A lot of um, a lot of capital, and granted, investment banking businesses, investment banks pivoted towards a business and threw hundreds and hundreds of bodies at it. Uh, private equity and venture capital firms were created around it. Funds were raised about it, and money, you know, literally just poured into it. And boy, I tell you, two thousand eight came around. And it was expensive. It was capital intensive, and nobody had a bid for it. And it went bye bye, then, and took a great pause. So, the analog, I think, there, and you know, there's no single greater example than Solyndra. And you guys, everybody's like, just write it down. Go research sort of the Solyndra. The old, that's a classic example of, you know, zero to a hundred to zero uh, with government money in it as well. But the 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 the, the analog here is that, you know. If it seems too good to be true, it usually is, and and so a more measured pace. Look, esports is period, um, but it's early, and you know we can debate, and I'm happy to debate with you, but I'd say sort of somewhere in the first inning, like honestly, because when I think about how capital forms um, and how capital gets allocated. Um, you can definitely see it ramping up, but the guys that are controlling the capital don't understand it. Okay, it's not how they grew up, and so they take a more measure rather than dump it into every small little private company idea, game, league, team, etc. And so I think it is sort of play the long game. Now the other example I was going to use is um, is mobility. And if you think about mobility and how, dis, you know, before Southwest Airlines, you had major league airlines, big carriers, you had some sort of boutique airlines, um, you had trains and you had cars, but, and you had, and you had, you had, you know, water traffic ships. Mobility really, in my mind, got disrupted by Southwest Airlines. That was the first time you sort of went short hops, turned planes around quickly, um, discount, you know, and everyone could fly, um, and, uh, and it, it opened up the world for people. Um, it made it affordable, free bags, no change fees, um, use your points. That was an incredible disruptive to the, to the normal way that we, that we traveled. And, and what that led to in my mind is, I mean, I think it's part and parcel to where, you know, sort of Uber came into it. And Uber, what Uber was as disruptive as Southwest Airlines was, Uber was a hundred times more disruptive, disrupted the OEMs. It disrupted, uh, uh, you know, uh, mass transit. It disrupted the taxi cab business. It disrupted the way we think about travel. Um, and it and and that then has now led to things like bird and 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 scooter traffic city bike the way we equipment to travel and so and if you think about that sort of start to finish it's been a really long game right um and you know and and honestly uh you know travel was always part of things video uh, uh games have been part of the uh, ecosystem for a long time but they're just now starting to emerge into sort of a different way we think about it who plays it, how long they play it, what they play it for, why they play it. And I just think that that's been sort of a more measured, uh, it, you know, sort of interesting sort of ascension. And, um, and so 
I'll stop there and you can, I'll go well, where you want. You know, I, I think one of the, one of the key buzzwords in what this industry is, is disruption. And so it's interesting that you say that about Southwest Airlines, because I'm actually curious, before I give you my comparison, because we, we rode Southwest, Southwest Airlines as a family forever. Like as long as I, like way, way back as we were traveling as a family and, and going wherever we were going. And then I don't really remember when it was, but we haven't not taken a Delta flight in the last, I, I don't know, like 10 something years. So I guess when you think about disruption, when you think about brands like that, do you remember anything in particular about a switch from Southwest? And then I'll get into my comparison in a second. But do you remember anything in particular about like your like? I mean, we'll take Southwest. We'll take Southwest when it's when it's cheaper, obviously, or when it's just like a quick flight, like it's still a great airline. But we've always we've been on Delta for a very long time. So you know, was it the move to New York? Was it just more convenient? When did like you you remember switching over from Southwest? And sadly, the way the airline. Sadly, the way the airlines are structured, you're sort of available in the markets and the routes that they fly. So that's not really the great analog. Honestly, to be honest, it's really, I think, more about Uber. What what makes you take an Uber and what doesn't make you take an Uber? What makes sure. you have a car? What makes you not have a car? You know, in New York, I, I have Uber. I don't have a car. I mean, now I decide when do I take a taxi and when do I take an Uber? When do I take a bird, which I'll never do? Uh, versus, you know, what, uh, yeah, um, that's like social suicide to me, uh, as you know, but, uh, but, but those are the, but those are the things that drive it. Now, there's probably nothing in which, where you're going to go is that's going to sort of make me become a gamer tomorrow. But in terms of understanding the ecosystem, you know, I'm drawn to sort of the disruption of, of esports to traditional leagues. I mean, I got home in time for dinner last night to watch Monday Night Football, which I didn't really care about other than I wanted to see Baker Mayfield have minus two fantasy points, which he did. So I got my wish. But but my my point is is that it's just it's I can see it start to disrupt, you know, traditional sports as I know them. It doesn't make them any less appealing but you know in terms of what the leagues really need to contemplate going forward is how they're going to appeal from dinner last night and went and played call of duty and didn't go watch monday night football that's a problem and those are the kind of things that we need to sort of sort out going forward does that help well so i think when i go back to disruption Right. So I think when I think about sports and I think about brands and sports that are the staples and they're, they're global brands. Right. You know, I think about the New York Yankees, the Dallas Cowboys and the, you know, the Los Angeles Lakers. Right. And they're just they're global brands. They're known brands. America's team, New York Yankees, George Steinbrenner, you know, the Lakers and Magic Johnson and, and just the whole this, those brands that have been built after years and years of building that up. But. I'd be curious to see where FaZe Clan, 100 Thieves, Team Liquid, these brands that I've taught, and I'm not sitting here asking you to be an esports expert because I know you're not, but I have shoved a lot of articles in your face. Um, you know, I see those as brands and organizations that are going to disrupt what it is to be America's team because I, I can guarantee you that there's a fan base for FaZe Clan all across this world and and you know i i don't know what dallas cowboys youtube channel is right now but i have to imagine that it's not up to seven million subscribers like you know like face plan this so i find the disruption of traditional sports not that i want to see traditional i mean you and i are the biggest sports fan we've been watching the baltimore ravens for a very very long time we're not in, i'm not interested in seeing traditional sports go away in the slightest but i am looking for more collaboration between the two as you know but in regards to disruption and, and what i see coming is these brands that are being built behind gaming on top of gaming i should say um that are are pulling a lot of attention away like you said from traditional sports and you know one of my speed round questions will will will, will be a determinant of, of where you are in traditional sports will be which will be interesting but that was the comparison i was i was going to make yeah, and they're gonna they're gonna force the hands of traditional leagues to co-op uh, because they need to control the eyeballs. They're gonna have to figure out ways to 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 merge the two around games, around players. Um, you know, they've got 
you know, the NFL's drafting gamers into their league. Major League Baseball's drafting gamers into their league. Let me tell you something. If you're a Major League Baseball player, well, what the hell else do you do, you know, uh, uh, the middle of Kentucky waiting to play a game, you know, waiting to play a game at 530, you know, in the bus leagues? You're going to you're a gamer. So these things are all happening in the league. The bigger, more traditional leagues are going to have to think about how they do this. But it's a long, not going to, they're going to be, they just don't have money to throw at it and hope it works out. They're going to wait until they really understand it. You'll see new people hired at the C-suite level to be able to sort of figure this out. But they'll do it. They've got a lot of money to do it. But they're, but, but it's, you know, it's going to be a long game. So going into the, the money topic, and then I want to get into just some comments and then uh, get into our, our final speed round. Um, when you uh, go back, you've raised a lot of capital in your time. And like I said, you've mm-hmm. taken public, you've got a lot of experience doing that. There, I, I see actually a couple of people in the chat who I know are raising capital um, and early seed round pre-revenue type stuff. And I know that's not particularly your experience, but back like, uh, what what has stuck out to you when you've been in those conversations before? What uh, you know? What do investors from a venture capital level need to see from people raising in the esports industry in, in an in an industry that I, like I've said before is probably forty I don't know forty to fifty percent pre revenue right now. Maybe I think that's probably an aggressive stat, but I mean it's just I feel like everyone's starting something esports related right now, and everyone's looking for capital. So what's what are venture capitalists looking for? By the way, it just makes me think Uncle Dave should be a should be a guest on your show one day, but he'd be great at this. But uh, two things that I'd tell you: um, raising capital is really hard. It's really hard. So, and all the guys that you say that are that are dialed in right now, I promise you, each one of them has the best idea out there. I mean, nobody's got a better idea than they do, right? So, uh, so the so a couple things. If you've got the best idea, you want to do two things. One is you want to um, build relationships because relationships, uh, capital follows relationships. Nobody gives, they don't know and they don't trust, right? It takes time. Capital raising takes time. Um, but uh, And um, second thing I'd tell uh, the young guys starting companies is investors hate burn. They hate it. Um, they, if you're, if you've got the best idea and you're staffing up and you're burning capital, uh, like crazy, it's going to be a real short one and done conversation. You may get a great meeting cause your idea is so good, you know, on Sand Hill road and in, in Northern California, but it'll be a real short discussion. Five hours longer during the day, uh, you know, uh, be judicious with your hires, um, pay people in, you know, on the common in stock. If they believe that you've got a great idea, make them, you know, invest with you and just understand and that um, it's emotional, takes a long time, um, stretch a buck and um, and uh, and don't and just don't give up. If you've got the right thing, believe in it and uh, and and. Hopefully you'll find you know the capital that you need. Don't be greedy. That's really great advice. Um, and I'm sure that some questions will probably flow in just off of that. I'm going to go to to kind of the comments, see who's chiming in, and say hello, and then uh, see if any questions have popped in. And then uh, I've got some, some fun questions for you to, to close it on out. You got 80 people looking at your shining face this morning. Just I'm not know. answering any. Que- I'm not answering any questions from OD if he's on there. So he could be. I don't think I see him in his office. Um, So you've got big give uh, give Chapman. You've got Wes Middendorf, Sid Harth saying hello. Your lovely wife and my mother. Hello, mom. Um, Jacob, hope all is well, brother. Pavel, good morning. Brant, good morning. Mike, hello. Coleman, hello. Uh, Christy, dad. I mentioned Christy to you yesterday. Yeah. She's uh, she says hello this morning. Colin Ambrose is on. He says Love hello. Um, you've got 
Jackie Garrett, who I know is raising capital right now, so I'm sure she's appreciative of the of the in, uh, the invite. Uh, Kristen Banks, a great friend from the University of Mississippi. Uh, John German, uh, German, who I met this weekend, uh, who he's doing great stuff in the apparel industry uh, within esports. Um, let's see, who else do we have in here? Brennan, hope all is well, brother. Jacob, question for Herb Senior. Do you use LinkedIn as much as Herb Junior? Being in the financial space, do you currently use any fintech applications? Any fintech applications? Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, I we talked about LinkedIn. It's open on my desktop all day. I that's where I do all my research. I start there and then I go to a company's website. So I want to know who they know, how I'm connected to them, et cetera. I'd like to see what they've done, where they've been, how long they were there. Um, in terms of fintech, you know, I guess, you know, the best way, I think, you know, between, between all my apps, I'm a, I'm a, a Venmo guy because I have you that needs me to Venmo, Venmo you money. Um, sorry. Uh, I'm independent, uh, And then, and there's... But, you know, in terms of, you know, fintech in general, it's not an area of expertise for me. I've, 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 I've been around it for a while in other lives um, with some of the, you know, bigger payment companies and stuff like that. But not it's not my area of expertise. Um, all right. Moving on. We've got Chris. Uh, Christy, I have a habit of staying in Airbnbs for work and I have created LinkedIn pages for at least three people and set them up to so someone who's literally consulting as staying in Airbnbs, that's super interesting. Um, James Riley, great to see you supporting esports. How do you think the cloud is accelerating the, prolifer uh, the proliferation of esports and are there any new cool investments from DH Capital? My man, James Riley. Um, uh, so, you know, look, one of the things that the cloud providers uh, and the data center operators and everybody, and particularly the guy, James, that are, you know, pursuing the edge, uh, are talking about is uh, um, the obvious need for low latency. Um, and, you know, at some point, you know, I think this is coming, uh, you know, whether it's 10 years or 20 years down the road, but sports betting in esports is going to happen. And that is going to be a tremendous drain and pushing compute out to the edge to where the gamers are playing is going to be. So, you know, she catch up anyway, but I think one of the, you know, I guess at the very broad sort of macro level, I would say this sort of uh, with the uh, current and starting and underwriting through some really kind of cool companies is going to be sort of the first phase of it. Love it. Um, you've got Nick Carey chiming in saying hello. Um, James Riley, again, Dallas Cowboys have 129,000 subscribers on YouTube versus yeah. phase plan seven. And he knows. He played football in college. He's a Texas tech guy i think and uh and lives in texas so he's feeling pretty bad right now that the america's team only has 129,000 users uh, eyeballs um Devin, in from the west coast and saying hello it's earlier there um diana saying hello to colin uh and jacob <laughs> Jacob, uh, chiming in with another question. How do you think you need to build relationships with investors and VCs before you can really begin to ask for capital? That's a good question. Just sorry, repeat it again. It, how, how long do you think you need to build relationships with investors and VCs before you can really begin to ask for capital? Look, I, again, I, um, that's a really good question. And I, I think it's really sort of based organic. First of all, off, what's that? Probably based a little bit on feel now. It's a little bit. I mean, first of all, you're going to, you, you know, if, if you're not going to go uh, build a relationship with a guy that just says healthcare or consumer. You're going to want to be, you know, you want to stay in sort of the band 
that you sort of screen for. I think secondarily, like how you get introduced, who introduces you, how you're connected to them is, you know, gives you a pretty good forward hand press. And then ultimately, you know, um, letting people know as early possible in the game that you're, this is what you're doing and have them follow you. What VCs in particular like to do um, is they like to follow companies uh, and get on their radar screen as soon as possible. Don't show up when you have, you know, a hundred grand in the bank and you're, you know, you've got, you know, weeks to live. You want to get on their radar screen early. And they like to meet companies as early as possible. So building a relationship with your company and building your relationship with the partner or the VP or even the associate of that company is really, really important. So the, I would say the earlier, the better. Well, so this, and this actually is jogging a question in my mind. So let's say you're, you're going out and you're starting something in your very early stages, your first six, I don't know, six to 12 months, um, you know, you're not raising yet. Uh, is there an uh, is there an assumption from the VC? And you're, I know you, you haven't spent time with VC particularly, but like when when someone's getting that reach out, I mean, like, hey, I'd like to introduce you to my my company of X, Y, and Z. And you know, uh, is there a difference between just introducing someone as as opposed to, hey, I'm looking for money, and you're like, hey, I just want to get this in front of you. We're not looking for anything right now. I just want to get it on your radar. Yeah, I don't think you can, 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 you know, look, you can control when you meet somebody and you can meet them well in advance of needing capital, or you can meet them in the context of, of a raise. If you've got the next greatest thing in the world, it doesn't matter when you meet them. VCs are, you know, and the, and the early stage investors are going to figure it out real quickly. And then they'll, you know, they'll sort of guide how, you know, the speed dating part of it. But, you know, honestly, if you think you're, if you're onto something, you've got a great idea, you're getting some traction, um, and you, you and I've looked at a couple decks, you know, along the way, I think reaching out to a screen group of, you know, investors, whether they're, you know, family offices, seed investors, venture capital firms, early stage guys is important and making a connection with them, getting in their database, have them track you. Um, there's plenty of ways to do it these days, but building that relationship to the point where, you know, you, when it's time to get money, they've got a little bit of a head start. Got it. Um, finally, uh, James Riley went to UTEP, by the way. Marriage. Yep, UTEP. Sorry, James. Um, and then Christopher McIntosh, who is a young entrepreneur, uh, he, him and I have been going back and forth. He says good morning as well. Um, so I guess one final high-level question before going into our, our fun speed round. From all the things that I've sent you, from me literally saying, hey, no more NFL, time to go eSports after everything I've sent you from the, like the highest level possible. I guess, what are your thoughts on the industry besides it being first inning very, very early? And, and I guess, what are, what are you looking for from the industry? Um, so I think, it's, I think it's absolutely here and it's here to stay. It's, it's as real as anything that I've seen. Um, I think it's going to be driven primarily by uh, the next generation of partners in, in investment banks and investors that really sort of can understand it, that can talk the talk and walk the walk, that are gamers themselves. Um, and, um, and I think that, um, you know, I think the thing that I struggle with, H, is I, I just, you know, all this league formation is grabbing a lot of the headlines, right? Because, you know, sports owners or wealthy individuals in different markets are buying or making bets on this, that, and the other thing. I apologize if you're on here. I think that's a fool's errand. I just, I, I, you know, I, I, what I really like is more, yeah, I think it's really, um, I like growth capital and long-term sustainable businesses that will ebb and flow through the, uh, the maturation of the, of the broader esports world. And I just think making a bet right now on a team in, Tulsa, Oklahoma on a specific game is expensive and it doesn't sort of make sense to my mind. Um, I think the things that are going on with the hundred thieves and the, and the um, phase clans that were interesting. Um, and, you know, when you start to get into this sort of 
media rights and 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 uh, partnerships and branding and stuff that's going to be critical i think a lot of money is going to get uh, invested but a lot of money is going to get made in that space and and the professional investors will like that professional investors won't like the teams that's just going to be for wealthy guys professional investors bc and guys they're going to like long-term sustainable run rate revenue um uh, and EBITDA. That's what they're going to care about. So, uh, I, as hopefully the community can see, I've got you. I've got you schooled up, brother. You know your esports. Yeah, man. Um, By the way, everyone right. should. Everybody should read that report. You should repost it. Uh, that um, your partner wrote, Will, and I, I don't know what it was called, but it explained all the different. Um, the tears. Teams leagues. Yeah, it, that was really, for a guy my age, 55, that was really, really helpful. Well, he just walked out of the room, but uh, I'll, I'll definitely repost it. It, it. We just reposted it on our LinkedIn site, by the way. So if you are, sorry, on our LinkedIn our company page at Roundhill Investments. So if you're here watching, um, go take a glance and all those blog posts are on our site as well. All right. So we've been cranking here for about 50 minutes and I had a feeling we'd do that. You've, you've maxed out at, at 108. So you shattered my my record of like fifty or sixty. Um, so right, well, two times fifty is a hundred. So double the herbs, herbs, double the fun. Two herbs is better than one, right? <laughs> um, okay, so diving into a speed round here. Um, quick questions right off the bat, just so uh, we can get a little handle on on where where you are and who you are. All right. Yeah. Favorite club in your golf bag. Uh, eight iron. Interesting. I wouldn't have called that. Um, favorite player on the Ravens? Uh, eight. Lamar Jackson. Could have called that. Uh, when was your last Orioles game? I, so far back that I can't remember. Five years ago? There was a report that came out yesterday that 15 franchises in the MLB set home run records and you, and attendance is down 2%. Yeah. Big problem. Um, what was the last video game you ever played? Mario Kart. When I used to school you? Yeah. <laughs> um, what is the greatest lesson in business you've ever learned? Wow. In business. Uh, never give up. Numero uno. Um, and who is your favorite child? Uh, your sister who lives in L.A. She's probably not up yet, but she's definitely favorite child number one right now. Brutal. Brutal. You promised me 45 minutes. If you kept it to 45, it's 50. I think people are yawning right now, but... So uh, you would have you have made it, but you missed it by five minutes. All right. Well, uh, I'm sure the entire crew here, uh, a lot of uh, questions or uh, no more questions coming in. Everyone's saying, uh, everyone said, oh, Christy says this needs to be a monthly event. So maybe we come back and do this again. But um, this was fun. Thank you very much for doing this. Thanks for being the first guest ever. Um, hopefully some more exciting guests can come along, uh, down the line. Uh, anything else you want to say to, say to the crew here? Yep. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Love you, pal. All right. See you.